let's just go before the Lord once again. Lord, we do love you and praise you and ask that you would be here in our midst. We know you are, God, but we ask that you would just, the remainder of our time together, that this would be our final word of exhortation, that you would bring that to us even now, and we trust you will, God. Open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds to receive all that you have for us the remainder of our time together, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Sandy and Bethany did a wonderful job, didn't they? Really instructing us. They did. So sweet on how to be one in the word, how to be one in prayer, how to be one in our trials, even in tribulations. The Lord actually does use those things in our lives. He uses people, the what we would say sandpaper people, right? The people that help smooth our rough edges in our own life. And, um, and then he uses trials and, and pain and suffering and all of that to make us one with him, to mold us and to shape us, to be transformed into his very image. So in Matthew 17, let's take a look together. It says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish... Let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Don't you just love Peter? Let's continue. Verse 5 says, While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out from the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and do not be afraid. When they had lifted their eyes up, they saw no one but Jesus only. So first in this story, we notice several things. We notice that Jesus, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm like, why did he only take three? Why did he not take all of them up? He took Peter, James, and John. Um, Secondly, we notice that he went to a high place, which was away from everybody else. And then thirdly, we see that he was transfigured or changed in front of them. He actually changed in appearance. So he didn't take all of them, only a few of them. He took them to a high place, a place away from everybody, and he was changed and transfigured. The word transfigured means to transform into something more beautiful or elevated. It's the same word as transformed used in Romans 12 too. Our retreat last year was transformed, meaning metamorphosis. It's the furry, chubby caterpillar turning into the beautiful, graceful butterfly. When Jesus was transfigured and transformed on the mountain, we're told that his appearance changed. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. We're also told, as I said, that he wasn't alone. Moses and Elijah were there talking with Jesus. Now, 
We aren't told what they were talking about. Wouldn't you have loved to be in on that conversation? You know, it could have been more like about what's going to happen. You know, are, are they really the two guys that are going to come back and then, you know, they'll, they'll die in the book of Revelation and then be resurrected on the street? Is that, you know, what was this conversation about? Would have loved to have been there. But even though we don't know what was said, we do see visibly what happened on that mountain. And uh, that is that something changed. As born-again believers, ladies, we should all experience change in our life. Transformation. Transfiguration. There should be a difference in our life. In fact, the number one sign of being truly born again is change. It doesn't have to be a big change. It can be a little change, but nevertheless it is change, which is our first point in becoming one in his presence. We are changed. We should no longer be the same people that we used to be. We are new creatures in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us. The old has passed away. Behold, we have become made new. There is a visible difference in our lives as we are changed into the very image of Jesus. We're softer, maybe, more sensitive to God's spirit, more kind, more thoughtful, uh, more other-centered, less us-centered, right? To enter into the presence of God, there must first be change of heart, which begins with salvation. We know that, right? And then it begins to permeate our mind, takes over our will, takes over our lives, and after we're saved, we have that change of heart, we begin this lifelong process of sanctification, and we've talked about that several times this weekend, becoming more and more like Jesus. Uh, Harold Sela, in his book, Getting Acquainted with the Holy Spirit, was somebody gave me before the retreat, and, um, and I quickly flipped through it and read, uh, I got these little nuggets out that I wanted to share with you. Uh, He said, to live in his presence, we must be holy. And to be holy, we must be whole, pure, and separated. Wholesome, he said, is a result of the healing restoration of the Holy Spirit when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Wholesomeness comes through salvation. Purity, on the other hand, is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We are becoming more pure as we become more like him because the scripture says we are to be holy as he is holy. We are to be pure as he is pure. And that process of purity comes through sanctification. And we are then to separate ourselves from the world, being in it, but not of it. We are to be able to live in the presence of God on a daily basis because we have salvation. We've experienced salvation. We are in the process of sanctification, and we are in separation. Now, we know that we are to live in this world, but we are not to be of the world. We have to live in this world. We're called to live in this world because we are to be a light to the world, but we are to be separate from the world. As we seek to live a godly life, we will experience these three things, salvation, sanctification, 
and separation, all leading us into his presence. At the time of his transfiguration, Jesus' earthly ministry was coming to a close. He had acknowledged that he was a Messiah, and he predicted his death and resurrection. He now reveals to just a couple people, three, his divine glory. This tells me something. God does not reveal it to everybody. You have to go seek it. You have to go get up on a high place away from everyone else. You have to be alone with the Lord to see that transfiguration and then to experience it ourselves. Jesus told Peter, James, and John not to tell anybody about this until he was risen and after his death. Years later, Peter commented about this, recounting the event in 2 Peter 1, 16-18, and he says this, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice, Peter says, which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Guess what? You can experience that same thing. You can do it. But it does require something, doesn't it? What an experience this would have been to be there, to hear the audible words of God the Father. They did experience something that we do not have the privilege of experiencing, the audible words of God the Father. But I do wonder what his voice sounded like, don't you? Like, was it loud and billowing? Was it soft and kind and still, you know, we know in Scripture, um, because we're told that um, we can hear the still, small voice of God. Now, we may not hear it audibly like they got to hear it, but we are told many times in Scripture, and we read, of hearing God's voice. And I believe that God still speaks to us personally It may not be audibly, but he definitely speaks through his still, small voice. And if you look those words up, they mean a whisper. So if we really want to hear a whisper, what do you have to do? You have to lean in. You have to quiet yourself. You have to quiet your heart. We can't be in a loud place having noise going on to hear a whisper, can you? You have to be up. You have to be on a mountain. You have to be separate. You have to be cognizant. You have to be conscious. You have to really listen to hear it. And I want to encourage you ladies that our God still speaks in his still small voice, but it is not, he's not going to yell at us. It's a whisper. And if you want to hear his whisper, you have to do the same things that these guys did. You have to get up. You have to get away. And we are. I mean, which of us hasn't just had such a sweet time and heard the Lord here speaking to us? But if you want to live in his presence and on a daily basis hear from God Almighty, you have to do what they did. You have to be disciplined. 
you have to be obedient. You have to be committed. It's like Sandy said, more Jesus, more word, more prayer, more time alone. We have to be more disciplined than we have ever been in our entire life right now if we want to hear the voice of God through all the distraction that goes on on a daily basis. Amen? We need to be diligent, godly women. And I'm calling you to be that army of godly women that are diligent, that are women of the word, women of prayer, women of his presence. Amen? As we sit and ponder those things and wonder what it would be like to actually hear God's audible voice and see Jesus transform, I can't help but think of the transforming power of God in our own lives. We have the, uh, a great advantage over Peter, James, and John in that we have the word of God in its entirety. We can see how God worked and moved and spoke in so many people's lives, and we know that he still does that today. And yet, as we see God working in all of the people's lives in the scripture, the greatest work is right before our own eyes in us. Jesus uses the word of God, prayer, suffering, to mold us, shape us into his very image, to make us one with him. But he also uses his presence as a means to make us one with him. For his presence, Psalm 1611 tells us, is where there is the fullness of joy. Jesus has allowed us direct access into his presence, into the holy of holies, but it is a choice. We know that. It's a choice. Here now um, we see our first point, which it was, it's change. There's change that experiences. And secondly, we see that it is our choice to enter in or not. We can choose to enter into the presence of God, or we can choose not to enter in. When Jesus died on the cross, we're told that the curtain that was separated um, God's presence from the people was torn from top to bottom. Sandy alluded to that last night. This was not an act of man, and that's why God tore it from top to bottom and not bottom to top, because he wanted them to see that it was an act of God. The curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies in the temple was made of fine linen. It was blue and purple and scarlet yarn and had two um, images of angels or cherubim embroidered on each side of him. This meant, this curtain meant that God was unable to allow his presence to just the ordinary people because he could not look upon sinful people. And it wasn't until Jesus died on the cross, we know, that that veil was torn from top to bottom, allowing access to anybody who wanted to go in. But we know that only one, back then, only one person was allowed, the high priest, one time of year on the Day of Atonement to go in, and he had to be carrying what? Anybody know? Blood. He had to be carrying blood. God's eyes are too pure to look upon evil, Habakkuk 1.13 says. He cannot tolerate it. The veil was a barrier. It really was a barrier not just to keep the people from God or God from the people. It was protection. It was protection for us. Hebrews 9, 7 tells us that only the high priest, as I said, could enter in to this inner room 
and only one time a year and never without the blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people. But the death of Jesus on the cross changed everything. That was all the blood that was needed to rip that veil from top to bottom and allow us direct access. When he, who was perfect, completed the law and the prophets, took that sin upon himself, the barrier was removed. Amen. We're so blessed that it was. As Jesus died on the cross, we're told that the earth shook, and that veil that was 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, and four feet thick that separated God from the people was torn. With that veil torn, now we're able to go into the Holy of Holies, which was exposed by God and accessible to all. No more need for the animal sacrifices, blood, the high priest, just Jesus. It's all we need to enter in. Hebrews 6, 19 through 20 tells us that we are to enter into the Holy Holies, uh, but we are to enter in specifically. One word he uses, boldly. We are to enter into the Holy of Holies boldly, meaning confidently and sure that our prayers will be answered. Do you believe that today? That you can go into the presence of God confidently? That what you have prayed while you're here will be answered? It will be answered. It's a promise. Maybe not as we want it to or we think it should be answered, but it nevertheless will be answered according to God's will and not ours. His will is so much higher, ladies, so much better than our will. It is past, the Bible says, finding out. We only know in part, but the Lord knows in full, in its entirety. He has the best vantage point, doesn't he? (laughs) He knows everything. He's up there. He looks down. Uh, Somebody once said it's like, you know, the Goodyear blimp looking over the Rose Parade. He sees the whole thing from start to finish. We're just here. We're just here. We see this little bit right now, and we it's difficult for us to see the end. But what we learned the first night is the end to the Lord is what? The process. That's the end. We think of the end as heaven. He thinks of the end as the process, what we're in now. Because what is it doing? It's making us more like him. This is the process we're in. We shouldn't um, try to speed up our process. Be patient, ladies, in the process, because God is doing a good work. You know, I would have never thought 30 years ago that I would marry a man that would become a pastor. That wasn't what I was looking for, for sure. Um, I was just a lost girl trying to find her way in the world, no real knowledge of the Bible or Jesus. But I did have a strong and tenacious spirit, that's for sure. I did not give up easily. Therefore, as I was headed on the road to destruction, a cheerleader, Long Beach State, the Lord broke both of my heels, literally, broke them both, to get me off of my path of destruction and on to his path to eternal life. And I'm so glad the Lord didn't let me go down that path according to my wills, my plan, what I wanted. But yet he knew what was best for me. My path involved physical pain, you know, um, an injury that really got me back. And sometimes the Lord will do that. He allows storms of correction, storms of 
perfection in storms of protection. He will do that from time to time to get us on the right path. The Bible tells us that God chastens those that he loves. And we're so glad. Maybe it's not comfortable right then, but just give yourself a little time to look back and praise God that he knows best. We are not to be weak Christians, ladies. We are to be bold, sure, and confident of who we are, who he is, and the fact that we can enter into his presence at any time. Will you quickly turn to Hebrews 10? Just keep Matthew 17 open. But Hebrews 10, just quickly, I want to read something to you that um, I'm sure I, like Sandy, have read many, many times. And yet, you think that the Lord just inserted this new this year as you're going through it. And I actually taught through the book of Hebrews. So, um, as most of you know, and some of you are even going through that book with us, but 1019 says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is, highlight this, his body. Circle, highlight, star, whatever you like to do. That is his body. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance. Did you catch that at the end? The curtain, listen carefully, is his body. Jesus both separated us from the holy of holies, and he also was the one that opened up the way to the holy of holies by his death on the cross. He separated us by his death to protect us from God's wrath. And then he opened up the way by his death on the cross to allow us into his presence, to experience his grace. Isn't that phenomenal? I don't know why I never saw that before, but the curtain was his body. That's Jesus. That represents Jesus protecting us and then both being broken for us. Fabulous, isn't it? It's been my prayer for you ladies this whole weekend that you would learn to draw into, draw near to the presence of God, that you would put all else aside and be unashamed and uninhibited as you draw near to your Father, that you will also be bold in your request to him, that you would pray big or go home. You know, I'm just like, let's stop praying small. Let's go big. Let's pray for big things, for our big God, and be persistent in them, knowing that our Lord sees and knows all things, and that he always answers our prayers. And his will is always better than ours, because we've been granted access into the Holy of Holies at any time. It's really up to us whether we take advantage of it. It's there on a daily basis. Actually, it's a a momentary basis. Anytime we want to enter in, we can. But many times we don't. Maybe it's ignorance. Maybe we don't know. Maybe we're not taught. Well, you cannot claim ignorance, ignorance any longer, right? 
We know now. We can enter in. But this is a learned thing, a discipline in our lives that we need to practice on a daily basis. Once we've been changed, then, as we said, we have a choice. We have a choice to enter in or not to enter in. What I want to talk to you ladies about in just the remainder of our time together this morning is an area that I myself have really been growing in in the last few years. And if you came to my workshop, I shared a little bit with you gals then. But an area that the Lord has been really, really concentrating on in my life, and that is making me one in his presence. And so I'd like to consider first how to get into his presence. And then secondly, how to stay there, how to live there, how to dwell there, how to abide there. First, how to get there. As we look at the tabernacle in Scripture, we see, most of us know, that God gave Moses specific directions for this um, tabernacle or this tent that was to be a traveling tent. that they a traveling uh, meeting place for God to go and and for God to dwell and for his 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 place that he would be and live and dwell here on earth uh, with the people so they have this traveling tent and they had specific directions and instructions from God gave to Moses what he wanted in this tent the dimensions everything we can read in the book of Exodus but in each piece um, of the the tabernacle is divided into three sections and there was furniture found in the tabernacle, and each of it meant something special. Each of them pointed to Jesus. It really is quite fascinating. The tabernacle, which became the temple, is really a representation of heaven on earth. It's a replica of what's in heaven, but here on earth. And if you're with us at Calvary San Juan, I've been teaching through Hebrews. John just went through Exodus. We're both sort of like back-to-back on this. So I think the Lord is um, wanting us to really grasp this. Repetition is the best teacher, right? So it's just really neat to see how the Lord's doing that with us. But in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 16, we see that John was given this vision of the New Jerusalem, which is also a perfect square, just like the third part of the temple, which is the Holy of Holies. We're going to talk about that. But God gave Moses detailed instructions for this building, the tabernacle on earth, which was, as I said, to be a replica of that which is in heaven on earth. The tabernacle was a rectangular structure, which was divided, as I said, into three parts. You had the courtyard of meeting, which was on the outside, around the perimeter. Then next, the next portion was the holy place, and then the holy of holies, where God dwelt his presence. It was... I recently learned, um, as I was listening, I was just going to share something else, but I'm going to wait. I was listening to uh, Kay Smith on our app. So um, if you don't have the Word for Today app, you definitely want to download it. 3,900 teachings. I mean, there's just so, it's a huge resource for us. We have all of Pastor Chuck's teachings and then um, Kay's teachings as well. Uh, So there's just so much. And so I've been really... Uh, concentrating for me personally and disciplining my time to listen to at least one teaching a day. 
it really is quite easy to be quite honest with you. You just put your earphones in. If you're, um, I put it on in my car when I'm driving. Uh, if you're working out, if you're walking, it could be on in the kitchen. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, use this amazing resource that has um, is available to us now. So the Word for Today app, free. <laughs> Anyways, I listened to this three-part um, study from Kay. It's called uh, Dwelling in the Holy of Holies. Highly recommend listening to it. I listened to it, and I thought, I am taking that. That is mine. So if you know anything about pastors' wives and pastors, we borrow from each other all the time. <laughs> we do it, and, um, and it's okay. So uh, anyways, I thought I'm going to borrow this from her because it was so phenomenal. And you can listen to the whole study yourselves. But basically, she likened the three parts of the tabernacle to three different types of Christians. And I loved it. She said you could be a courtyard uh, Christian. You could be a holy place Christian, or you can be a holy of holies Christian. So you can live in the courtyard of meeting, she said, which is the outer courtyard where the sacrifices took place. Or you can live in the holy place, which held the three important pieces of furniture. The golden lampstand, which is where there was pure olive oil, was burned uh, to light the room, signifying Jesus. As I told you, they all point to Jesus is the light of the world. And we, too, are to be the light of the world. Then there's a table of showbread where 12 uh, pieces of loaves of bread, I should say, uh, would be eaten by the priest after a week's time. So it, it held three loaves of bread. The fascinating thing, or the miraculous thing, I should say, is that even after bread sat there for a week, they would go to eat it, and it would taste like it'd be warm, just like it came out of the oven. Amazing. It's a miracle of God. Not stale at all. This, of course, though, signifies that Jesus is the bread of life and that we are to partake of the bread of life and then to give that out as well. And then the third piece or furniture or article that was in this middle section, the holy place, was the golden altar where the priest would pray as the incense would go up and fill the room. This, of course, signifies prayer. <laughs> the word, the light. Prayer, right there in the holy place. Living in the holy place, ladies, represents the lives of really the majority of believers. Most people live in this place. And it really is not a bad place to live. It's a good place to live. You're in the word. You pray. You're a light. It's a good, I mean, this is, this is a good place to be. But there is another place to be. And that is the Holy of Holies. There's nothing wrong with living in the holy place other than the Lord has more for us. And that's really what I want to share with you is that the Lord has so much more. And what he's been teaching me the last few years is that I want you to know me more. I want to do more. In you, And it's sort of along what Sandy was saying. We need to be in the word more and in prayer more. That's our part. But the Lord is saying of you, I, I want to know you more. I want you to know me more, but I want to know you more. I want to use you more. And that's what happens when we choose to live in this place. As we are transformed by taking the word of God in, 
prayer, as I said, and being a light, we are moving closer and closer to this back room, this third place, the Holy of Holies. This takes time, though, ladies. I mean, as I told you, the Lord is doing this in my own life. I've been saved now for 31 years in June, and I just now am learning this. So if you can learn this now, just think the head start you have. This is key. Don't, though, be too hard on yourself because um, it does take work to get there, and then it takes work to stay there. As you continue walking in that tabernacle, as I said, you enter into this holy of holies, uh, this room that was previously separated, but now the veil is torn. With the veil torn, the holy of holies is exposed, we know. It's accessible to everybody. New believers, older believers, in-between believers, everybody can go into the Holy of Holies. But in the Holy of Holies was one piece of furniture. It was the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God. It was a chest, a wooden chest, overlaid with gold, which was three feet by nine inches long and two feet by three inches wide. Now, if you're going with us to Israel, you will see Uh, a replica of this, but you'll see the original everything else. In Israel now, they are ready to build that third temple, and they have everything set. All the pieces of furniture are made to scale, and they are covered in gold, and they are ready to go. So what does that tell us? If they're ready, who else should be ready? Us. We need to be ready because Jesus is coming soon. In fact, the last time we were in Israel, we asked them, so how long would it take, you know, to build the third temple? They said about three months. About three months? They have all of the the building, the, the, um, the blueprints. They even showed us the blueprints. It was fascinating. Of the third temple. Everything is ready. And they said, we don't even have to have the temple built to start sacrificing. They will go back to the animal sacrifice, the uh, sacrificial system. They have the, um, the altar ready, and it's on wheels. You can see it if you go with us. They'll just, you know, they said, we can start in two hours and start. Isn't it amazing? like when you go you're like oh it just it, it's in your face it's reality you just know Jesus is coming back they are ready everybody in Israel is ready but we aren't why are we not ready we have to be ready for the return of Jesus we have to be living and dwelling and abiding in him and in his presence Looking at these three different rooms as different types of believers, we see that the Christians who live in the outer courtyard are the ones that just sort of hang out. They're in the outer perimeter. They come to church on Sunday. They leave. They're not involved. You know, they just kind of come and go. They receive the sacrifice of Jesus, but they never go any farther than that. They never get plugged in. They don't stick around. They don't fellowship. They come in. Maybe they come in late. They miss worship. They bring their coffee. They sit in the 
Fellowship Hall. Sorry if any of you do that. You know, like those types of people, you know. Uh, The Christian who lives in the holy place, though, shines the love of Jesus, receives the word and prays, intercedes on behalf of others, and is a light. That's a good place to be. But the Lord has more. The Christian who lives in the Holy of Holies is the one who lives near the presence of God. They recognize his presence, they long for his presence, and they live in his presence. These are the Christians that you can tell that they've been with God, right? How? How can we tell? Because when we live in the presence of God, we are changed and transformed in the very image of Jesus, and we experience the glow. You know the glow? The Jesus glow? You know what I'm talking about? The one that Moses had when he came down from the mountain after he was in the presence of God? That glow. The one that it appeared as though Moses was in the presence of God, but then it disappeared because he was no longer in the presence of God? Kay said, one of the problems in the church today is that we seek his omnipresence, knowing him everywhere, but we do not seek his manifested presence. It's true. We seek his omnipresence, but we do not seek his manifested presence with us on a daily basis. Is Jesus on your mind when you wake up in the morning? Do you think of him throughout the day? Do you pray? Do you see his creation, his hand, as you walk around, as you're you're out? Are you too busy to even recognize God's beauty and creation? Do you see his hand upon your life, leading you, guiding you, protecting you, speaking to you? Do you hear his still, small voice? Do you listen? I can see why Peter, James, and John wanted to stay on the mountain, can't you? I mean, we can't fault Peter for wanting to build three tabernacles, can we? I mean, we would do the same thing. We can live in the presence of God, but it will be a fight. The devil will do anything to distract you, to draw you away, to keep you from the presence of God, to drag you out by the feet. Whatever he can do, he will do to keep you out of the presence of God. He is the one that would love to keep us in the courtyard. He'd love to keep us there. He'd even love to keep us in the holy place, you know. If he can't get us to fall or turn from the Lord, he will try to keep us on the outside, on the perimeter, never entering in, because that is really an ineffective Christian. You're not too effective for the kingdom of God. You know, ladies, it's a fight. It's a fight to enter in, but it is a fight worth winning. Amen? It is a fight worth winning. The Lord wants us, desires for us, longs for us to live in his presence. Not just to experience it once or twice a week at church or here at a retreat and then to go home and forget what we've learned. He tore the veil so that we could live there all the time. Are you willing to fight for it? To fight for your devotional time? 
to fight to be still and quiet before the Lord, to fight for your prayer time, to fight to hear his still small voice. Unfortunately, not many believers fall into this category. Remember, it is our choice. It requires something be sacrificed. Remember? What did the high priest have to walk into the Holy of Holies with? Remember? What? Blood. That means that something has to be sacrificed. And who is that something or someone? It's us. It's us. It's our time. It's our busyness. It's our schedule. It's our priorities. It's everything that wages war against our time will keep us, drag us out of the Holy of Holies, keep us from getting there. And then if we do get there, we'll try to drag us out by the feet. If we want to live in the Holy of Holies, it requires discipline, surrender, and stillness. And we live in a world that is constantly stimulated or overstimulated by technology. So this is our fight. This is our fight. I was telling somebody last night, this is... Um, we live in, in such an amazing time. I believe it's the hardest time uh, for our ch- kids to walk with Jesus. But it's also, in one sense, the easiest time. Because we have so much available to us. The internet, technology, cell phones, a blessing and a curse, right? It's really how we choose to use it. It can be a complete blessing, and we can limit the overstimulation if we would just be disciplined enough to do it. We are undisciplined children. That's what we are. We are undisciplined children. We are spoiled. (laughs) We are bratty at times, and we are undisciplined. We need to be disciplined, ladies, with our time. We need to be disciplined with this day and age which we live in, 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 in We are privileged people. We know more and have more available to us here in the United States and in this day and age than anybody else. Is it a fight? It is a fight. It is hard. It is a choice. But once you've been changed, we should make that choice to surrender, to give him everything To do more. Lord, our prayer should be, Lord, I want more of you, and I want you to do more in me. Right? It's that prayer of John. Less of me and more of you, Lord Jesus. Less and less of me and more and more of you. Stop your busyness, ladies. Stop moving. Stop moving. And sit and stay with him. This has to be part of our daily schedule. And I don't know what it looks like for you. I'm in a different place in my life now than I was when I had little ones. But there is no excuse. I don't care. There is no excuse. I was with the Lord when I was nursing babies. I taught my women when I had babies strapped to me. There's no excuse. No excuse for us in this day and age. I don't care how many kids you have, and I'm sorry if that sounds harsh, but I've been there, done it, been there, done it. 
You can do it, but it will be a fight. You have to be creative, mamas, creative mamas, you know. Um, you have to be creative. I remember that when I was nursing my kids, that was my time. That was my time. I'm doing two things. You're multitasking, but um, you could easily, even if you can't have your Bible open, which I always had my Bible open when I nursed, and um, in the morning, and then, of course, you're nursing a lot, that would be my prayer time. So commit, ladies, to allow that time to be the time that you intercede, the time you pray, you mamas. So you that are not in that place anymore, we have, it's changed a little bit. I always say, I never thought I could be more busy than I was when I had four little kids. I am busier now than I was then, for sure. It just changes. You know, it's just your schedule changes, your kids changes, just the dynamics, everything changes. So if you can set that precedence now, younger ladies, you'll have it. It'll stick. But you who have not set that precedence, set it now. It's never too late. Set it. Make it. Make that part of your schedule. I always tell my kids, it's like brushing your teeth. You cannot leave the house without it. You have to brush your teeth. Think of that. You know, I have to be in the word. I will stink. My teeth, you know, just like, you know what I mean. Just imagine it for a moment. We need, we need to be still. We need more of him. We cannot do it without him, can we? We can't. Does anybody think you can? Okay, because I'll just, just here to say you can't. I'm sorry, you can't. We can do nothing apart from Christ, but we can do everything with him. Amen? Everything with him. So how do we stay in his presence? We cultivate a life of being still and sitting at his feet. We develop the discipline of listening and not speaking, and we obey the word. So just for a moment, sharing about listening to the Lord, and I've shared this many times, but I don't think we can overshare it. Be learning to hear his voice is a discipline for sure. It takes time, but you can do it. I think we hear the Lord's voice a lot, but we don't recognize it. But it does take being still. You have to do what the disciples did. You have to get up. You have to get away. You have to be in a quiet place. You have to be away from others. You can't be at a lot of distraction. Find your place. Where's your place? Everybody should have a place in their home that is their quiet place. If you do not have one yet, go home and find your place. This is my place. Here's Jesus. Here I am. We are here together. That is what it will take for you to hear the voice of the Lord. And you do not speak. You sit and you listen. You don't, it's not even reading the word of God. God speaks through his word. But what we want to do is we want to be in tune and sharpen our spiritual senses. And the only way we can do that is by sitting and listening. Lord, speak to me. This is my prayer. Lord, here I am. Speak to me. Your servant's listening. And I just sit and I listen. And every time God speaks to me, 
But this was a challenge to me as a pastor's wife. I didn't always sit. I didn't know. Nobody told me what I'm telling you now. No one told me. I didn't know. I didn't know. I think, oh my goodness, I could be so further along if somebody would have just told me that I could hear the still small voice of God Almighty, the one that flung the stars into existence, the one that created all the universes, the one that's foot is sitting on the earth. That one wants to speak to you every day, every moment. But are you listening? You have to listen. We have to be good listeners. We have to stop speaking and listen more. As I said, I was a pastor's wife. I was challenged by another pastor's wife to uh, sit and listen to God. What would the Lord say to you? I had no idea what she was talking about. What in the world are you talking about? It was at a pastor's wives conference. There was 30 of us. So we were all to go out in the church and just sit and be alone. Don't go with anybody else. Don't talk to anybody. Don't even open your Bible. What? What do you mean? So I sat there 45 minutes, sat there, didn't hear a word except for me. (laughs) All I kept thinking is like, I better like write something down. Do we have a test after? Like, am I supposed to share what what I heard? And, um, and I didn't hear anything. And one thing it did for me is, um, even though I was just slightly discouraged, one thing it did for me is it made me want to hear his voice. Because I knew that this godly lady who told me to go do this, I wanted to be like her. I wanted to hear the voice of God, and she heard. And so I thought, well, if that's the key, I want it. And so I disciplined myself to make that part of my devotional life. Sitting still before God and not speaking, not doing anything, just listening. Lord, what would you say to me? And wouldn't you believe it? The Lord came through again and again, and he began speaking to me as I sat still before him. Be still and know. Know the Lord, right? Know that I am God. He wants us to be still because that's when we truly know him hear him in his word, but he wants to speak in his whisper to us. And the things that he will say to you, ladies, are precious. Precious. Write them down. Precious, what the Lord speaks to us. He will tell you how much he loves you, the great plans he has for your life. He will encourage you as you listen to his still small voice. But we have to listen. Maybe one word, It may be one sentence. It may be pages. Just write it, write it, write it. It is not you. It is him through you. You will think, why would I tell myself that I love myself? That's weird. It is not you. It is him. Him. He is telling you, I love you. Write it down. Write it down. Date it. It is precious. I have journals full of God just speaking sweet things to me. They're my precious time with him, precious moments with the Father. Write them down, ladies. Are you constantly talking to the Lord, worshiping, like living a life of worship? If we live a life in constant communion with God, we will live in his presence. We'll live in his presence. We'll experience the Jesus glow on a daily basis. Live a humble life, ladies, not thinking of yourself. Live in communion with God, fellowshipping with him. Take the Lord wherever you go. Take your Bible. I always carry my Bible with me. Always, 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 always. Always have a travel Bible in your 
purse. I'm a Bible person. I'm sorry for people who use their phones. Um, I always discourage it because I believe it's distraction and maybe it's just me, but you get a text, you get an email, you, you know, it's just too easy to get distracted. And because I'm so easily distracted and the enemy uses that in my life, I prefer to take the written word. I will tell you one other thing that's really good about the written word. Let's say you take it and you're on your lunch break and you open your Bible and then you have your phone and you open your phone. Which one is going to draw more attention to somebody else? The Bible. It may draw positive attention or it may draw negative attention, but nevertheless, do not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Use your Bible. It is your sword. We want people to see that we're not ashamed, right? I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to take my Bible out in Starbucks or a coffee shop. Or I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to take my Bible out of work. In fact, I'm proud. I'm proud. So next time you think phone, Bible, go for the Bible makes a much larger impact in your life and in others as well. Talk to him all the time. Worship in the kitchen. Worship him in the car. Worship him at work. Flood your mind with the word of God. Worship. Take time to sit still and wait on God. Live a pure life with no contaminants. Obey God, ladies, completely. Partial obedience is what? You are good learners. Disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. We need to fully obey God completely. Use your time wisely. Be mindful of the time wasters. Social media, Facebook, TV, just those things that are constantly waging war against us, trying to draw our attention away from the Lord. How about we unplug to replug into the Lord? There are times where we need to do that, right? We see the necessity of disconnecting to reconnect. Maybe that's a word for somebody today. Disconnect to reconnect. It's important that we set that stuff aside. And the most important thing is our relationship with the Lord. Being in the word. Being in prayer. Listening to his still small voice. And, um, and then, of course, we want to be a light and be used We're living in the last days, ladies. We must obey the word of God in its entirety. We must be, as Sandy said, more in the word, more in prayer, more in his presence. No excuses. Obedience and his presence go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. We have to be obedient to get there and to stay there. Sin separates us from God's presence. Remember, the veil represents sin, right? that which separated us from God, even though the veil has been torn, sin still hinders our fellowship with God. We are not perfect, and we do not have to be perfect, praise God, to enter into his presence, because that is where we are perfected. But we do have to confess our sins, And then once we do, that cloud is lifted. I love that axe model. You know, as you just think about your day, the axe model, A for adoration, C for confession, T for thanksgiving, and S for supplication. As you go to the Lord, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, 
supplication, and in that order, and it helps. It's just it's almost like this cloud is lifted, this, like the veil is being torn, like something that separated us from God. And oftentimes it is our unconfessed sin. It's our, you know, it's those things. Ask the Lord. I think Sandy said, ask the Lord. Lord, is there anything that is separating me from you? And if there is, show me what that thing is. May I confess that, that there is nothing hindering my fellowship from you. When you're in the presence of God, then sit there, dwell, remain. Even if it's for five minutes, get there. Listen to his still small voice as Elijah did and write down what he says to you as you open the word. Ask him to speak to you and really be intent upon writing down at least one thing from the word that really spoke to you in real time, right now, today, and then share that one thing with someone else. A good rule of thumb is uh, you know you retained it if you can share it, right? If you read the word and then you leave and go, I don't know what I just read, you did not retain it. It doesn't have to be a lot, but you need to retain something from the word of God when you leave. Grab it and go. Share it with somebody. If you can share it, you've got it. Read it, write it, share it, live it. Do you want to be a courtyard Christian, ladies? A holy place Christian? Or do you want to be a holy of holies Christian? It's really up to us whether we take that next step and enter in or not. And we're going to give you an opportunity right now because we're going to move into communion. And Christina and Kelly are going to come up. And as we, I'm going to pray and then we'll go into communion. Lord, I just ask in the name of Jesus right now, Lord, that you would have allowed your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts, Lord, really challenging us, God, to take the next step. We've made the choice to follow you. There's been change in our life. We see it. You're doing something good, but we want more. There's more of you to be had. There's more of us that needs to be changed, God. We so want less of us and more of you in our lives, and that requires discipline. It requires that we be godly women, that we get into the word, that we get into prayer, that first, though, that we get into your presence, that we experience the Shekinah glory of the almighty God. Lord, may people see us and say, there's something different about you. What is it? Lord, give us the Jesus glow. We want to be in your presence, to radiate and illuminate Jesus Christ in these last days in which we're living, and we know it is completely dependent upon us getting there. Lord, I pray that these ladies would be encouraged, that they would be strengthened, that they would be willing to fight for what is right, to get into the word, to fight for it, Lord, when they feel they're being drugged out of the holy of holies, God, that they would fight and crawl if need be to get back into it, God. Lord, have your way with us, Jesus. We love you and we praise you. And we ask, Lord, now as we go into this time of communion, that you would really help us 
to examine our hearts, Lord. If there be any wicked way in us, God, reveal it to us, God. If there be any unconfessed sin, something, are we harboring something, something that has not yet been addressed here at this retreat, God? If there's still something that is separating us from the Holy of Holies, God, would you reveal it to us now as we take time to worship you, sit before you before we take communion? Lord, we know that it represents your body and your blood, and we do not want to take this lightly, God. We thank you for the sacrifice that you've made on the cross for us that we can enter in to the Holy of Holies. God, we love you and praise you and ask for your hand upon this time in Jesus' name.